Well, uh, the last few weeks here has been a bit of a blur for me, um, as hard as it is for me to believe. Easter was three weeks ago, and um, I am still giving thanks to God for what he did that weekend. It was a, it was a very special time. Um, I felt like the, the Good Friday service was a great time of just absorbing the reality of the love that God poured out on us in his son, Jesus Christ. Um, he met us here in that room, in this room, and and uh, I hope you felt that this evening, if that evening, if you were here, um, that's when the this series of messages truly began. Was on Good Friday, uh, we spent that weekend reflecting on God's love for us. Friday, we took a trip through the ministry of Jesus, noting His love for us expressed along the way, and and I know that experience touched many of you that evening. And then on Resurrection Sunday morning, we celebrated the power of God's love expressed to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the significance that that has in our own lives. Um, We are changed people because of the empty tomb. Uh, Seven people were baptized that morning, and at least one person gave their life to Christ as well, and the power of the resurrection was definitely felt. It was experienced here. And then Steiger International paid us a visit that next Sunday, and the Pierce brothers lit up the room again. Um, what an amazing combination of calling and testimony and story and report and inspiration and challenge that was. Um, ben delivered a, a crystal clear message that I certainly felt the weight of, um, and it is just an honor to be a part of their support team and to have had Chapel Hill people get involved with Steiger in various ways. Um, theirs is just one of the ministries that we support. And you'll notice on your bulletin insert on the back side of that that there's another one of our missionaries that is featured there. Um, the Hips are on the insert this time. Uh, Gary and Mary Lee Hip are originally from this church, in case you didn't know that. Um, they work with the same organization that we served with in Senegal, and they're very dear friends of ours, um, just like they are to, to many of you in this room. Uh, read about their ministry and the tremendous impact that they have in discipling church leaders around the world. It's an incredible work, and we want to continue to support them in the coming year. Um, in May, we will present you with our annual faith promise, and you'll have an opportunity to uh, renew or maybe start your support of the HIPs and the other missionaries that we support that are on the field, so be looking for that. And then last Sunday, uh, Peter was up here again, and he just opened up his heart and let us see what God is showing him recently. And I'm very grateful for the messages that God gives him and for how deeply they impact us whenever, they, whenever he preaches. Um, God ministered to me through Peter last Sunday and reminded me of the unconditional love that God has for me. Um, I know what it is to put my confidence in my performance rather than in Christ. I've done far too much of that myself, and I really needed to hear that message last week, and I hope it impacted you as much as it did me. Um, We have been blessed in worship by Ryan and Bob, uh, who have been able to step in last week and today. Um, God has generously put his people in place to speak to and to minister to us, and I am so grateful for that, and I am grateful for each part that every one of you plays in the ministry of Chapel Hill Church. Um, He clearly has his hand on us, and he is leading us in his way. Um, There's a lot coming. There's a lot to look forward to. Um, Do pray with me that God's Spirit will come on every single one of us and fill us and draw us closer to himself and lead us further along in the plans that he has for us. So this morning, God has laid it on my heart to take us a step further down this road that we're on as we study the subject of love. 
Uh, we've looked at faith, we've looked at hope, and now we turn our attention to love. Um, God's love that was poured out like a waterfall on us in the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. Um, there has never been a greater expression of love than God's gift of His Son to us. Um, before that monumental event and since then, God's love has always been there. It's always been deep and unconditional. And I pray that you're all aware of just how much God loves you. And let me just offer this to you. If, if you struggle with that, um, not necessarily even on a regular basis, but sometimes you're just having a hard time accepting that love, uh, taking hold of it with both hands, um, don't stay there. Don't stay in that place. God loves you tremendously, and you need to be reminded of that constantly. Um, his love for you is unconditional, and it's deep. And if you're questioning that love, come and talk to me. Um, talk to one of the elders. Call our office. Talk to your small group leader. Um, whatever it takes, just um, get to the point that you're really experiencing and understanding God's love for you and not doubting it at all because it's so real. And um, we can help you get to that point if you need it. Well, we're going to turn a corner this morning and shift our focus from God's love for us to God's command for us to love. And this is something that is absolutely essential for us to be practicing, and I'll explain why this morning. Um, first, I want to pick up right where Peter left off last week, and, and I love how God puts these things together. The message that he gave Peter for last week um, ties perfectly into where I'm going this week, and we, we didn't plan that out. We probably should have, but we didn't plan that out thoroughly. God's just amazing that way. Um, it's almost like he wants to say something to us. So listen well. Turn with me to John chapter 15 in your Bibles. John chapter 15. We're going to read the passage that Peter covered last week and then carry it on a bit further as we get started here. John chapter 15, go to verse 9. And we're going to read through verse 12. This is Jesus talking about the love that he has for us. John chapter 15, verses 9 through 12. And this is what he says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And I want you to look closely at what Jesus is saying here in this passage. Um, he's making at least four statements that I want us to absorb deeply before we go any further in our study on love. And the first statement is the one that Peter highlighted for us last week, and this is the statement. It's a simple one, but he says, I love you. Jesus says to us, I love you. He's speaking it to his disciples and us through the word of God, but he's saying that he loves us with the same depth that the Father loves him. Jesus loves us. And that is as deep and pure and real as love can possibly get. That's how much we're loved by the one that we will someday spend eternity with face to face. That love is the source of my significance. It's the source of my security, of my confidence, my perspective, my everything. Jesus loves me. This I know. So my life means something. My value is intact. My identity is secure. I am loved 
by Jesus. And he just said it here in John 15, 9, and I believe it. But he goes on. Jesus then extends an invitation to us to abide in his love. We're being invited to stay put, to sit down in the middle of Jesus' love. His love is a love that will always be extended to us. Um, Last week we were also reminded that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We can reject it, but we can't avoid it. And that is a beautiful thought. His love surrounds us and nothing can pry it away from us. Nothing. Did you get that? Nothing. So Jesus' first statement is, I love you. And his second statement is, so abide or remain in my love. And then he makes a third statement. Jesus understands that we were born with a selfish nature and are all prone to get up and walk away rather than abide. And so he helps us out here. He says, here's how you can abide. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. He's given us the secret to abiding and it's It's not what we may have expected. There's something we're going to have to do in order to abide. It's not just going to happen automatically. His love will always be there. But in order for us to remain in that love, to stay engaged in that love, to fully experience that love the way Jesus designed us to, we're going to have to do something. Now, free will is ours. We can do it or not do it. But abiding in Christ's love, being immersed in His love, going further and deeper than just having it available to us is going to depend on us keeping Christ's commandments. Those are His words, not mine. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And He shows us the beauty of abiding in John 15, but then says that we still have a part to play in whether or not that happens. Now in verse 11, Jesus reminds us that he's saying this so that our joy will be complete. Um, That's important. This is not to oppress us. This is to bless us. And then he makes his fourth statement. Verse 12, he says, this is what I want you to obey. Love one another. That's the command. The key to opening the door to abiding in the love of Christ is that we love each other. That's the commandment we're to obey. And he's not giving us this command to help us avoid punishment. He's revealing to us the way in which he will bless us through the experience of his love. We obey and love and we abide in love. Abiding in the love of Christ, which will always be there for us, depends on us loving others. And he even adds, our joy will be full if we do this. Now, before you get mad at Jesus for issuing a command instead of a blessing, please remember that his love for us is unconditional. He even loves us when we disobey his commands. Remember that Jesus freely and generously pours out love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and truth and wisdom and guidance and protection and provision and power every minute of every day. So when he presents us with a command, we really don't have the right to pout and complain that Jesus expects too much of us. Our obedience 
to this command that Jesus gives us really ought to define who we are in this world. There is no statement in all Scripture that more clearly presents our purpose in this world. We are to love one another. That in itself is an expression of love to Christ. If you've read through the New Testament, um, I'd be stunned if you told me that you really don't see this message here. Um, The command to love each other is obvious, but I want to take a few minutes here to make the obvious more obvious. Uh, How important is it to God that we get this message? Let's take a tour and find out, and you don't need to try to keep up with me and your Bibles at this point. I'm going to fly through the obvious message that we see in the Word of God to ensure that we don't miss this. Let's start in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 40. You know this, and it'll be up on the screen. Um, Jesus was being asked some questions, and here was the question in verse 36 of Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So in push to rank the commandments that the Israelites had grown up with for centuries, Jesus narrowed it all down to two commandments that have one thing in common, and that one thing is love. We are to love With that love in perspective, all the other things that God writes on the hearts and minds of his people fall into place. Jesus made another bold statement about our love in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 5, verse 44, he said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We're even to love our enemies. One of the hardest things to do, but God loves his enemies, and we're to love our enemies as well. Um, I'm not going to go deeper into this command right now, but please ask yourself this question before we move on. Um, Do you too quickly move people into the category of enemy? Just think that through. Uh, I think a lot of us find it very easy to do, to just move someone over to that category when we really ought not to be doing it, especially in the church. Moving on, John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. This is Jesus speaking again. And he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Um, I'll come back to this at the end, but do you realize just how powerful our love for each other is in this world? Our society is getting closer and closer to being this loveless culture where nobody seems to understand what it means to really love. Um, We can really stand out if we do this. In John 15, 17, Jesus repeats the command he gave in the passage that we looked at when we started, love one another, he says. In John 15, 13, he says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Now, obviously, this is exactly what Jesus did for us. This is the model, the example that we've been given. Love to the point of laying down your life. And that's a pretty serious challenge. Romans chapters 5, 8, and 13 will lead you to the same conclusion. We are to love as we've been loved. 
And then as we get further into Paul's writings in the New Testament, we find a, a plethora, I love that word, a plethora of commands to love. Let's start with the classic passage. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read the whole chapter. Just pretend you're at a wedding for a moment. That seems to be the only time we hear this beautiful passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is what Paul writes. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing if I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. The greatest of these is love. Now, if anyone besides Christ was qualified to state what's most important in life, uh, the Apostle Paul was. A man hardened from years of persecuting Christians and then years of being a persecuted Christian. And look at what he writes. Love matters most. Love is eternal. Now, as a father of three school-aged boys, I'm, I'm getting accustomed to the whole report card thing. Um, as parents, we get this clear picture of what it is that we need to work on with our sons. And some of the things that they get scored on really are not that important to me. <laughs> some things, though, like sportsmanship, are. Um, well, as followers of Christ, we really ought to be checking our report cards as often as our kids are. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7 is one of the best report card checklists I've ever seen. We need to embrace this gift that God's given us through Paul, as hard as it may be to embrace. Look at verses 4 through 7 again and use this as a report card. Am I patient and kind? Am I envious? Do I boast? Am I arrogant or rude? 
How often do I insist on my own way? Am I irritable or resentful? Do I rejoice in wrongdoing or in truth? Do I bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things? Brothers and sisters, this was written to the church, not to couples getting married. This is our standard. This is Christ in us. This is the image of God in us. If you want to be a good Christian, then get this right. We have to learn to love this way. Later in, his, in this letter, uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, Paul says this. He says, Let all that you do be done in love. And that means we shouldn't be acting in selfishness, in superiority, in vengeance, spite, manipulation, judgment, passive aggressiveness, self-promotion, deceit. Everything that we do has to be done in love. In Galatians 5, Paul makes more statements about love. In verse 6, Paul writes that only faith working through love counts for anything. In verse 13, he instructs us to serve one another through love. In verse 22, when he lists the fruit, the character of God's Spirit working through us, Paul lists the first character of that Spirit as love. Let's follow Paul into the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 4.2, Paul writes that we are to bear with one another in love. In Ephesians 4.15, he says we are to speak the truth to each other in love. In Ephesians 5, 2, we're told to live a life of love. And in the same chapter, Paul addresses the need for us husbands to love our wives. In 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Paul talks about the brotherly love that they had for each other, that they had learned from God, and he encourages them to express this brotherly love more and more. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul's warning Timothy about some false teachers, and even that was surrounded with a love for those teaching lies. Love was clearly at the core of Paul's letters. But it wasn't that way just for Paul. In Hebrews, we're told to spur one another on to love. And then Peter takes up the baton and does his own teaching on the subject. In 1 Peter 1, 22 and 4, 8, we're instructed to love one another deeply. In 1 Peter 2, 17, we're commanded to love the brotherhood of believers. And in 1 Peter 3, 8, we read that we are to love each other as brothers And then John takes his turn at promoting the importance of love. In 1 John 3.11, 3.23, John writes that we are to love one another. In 1 John 4.19, he writes that we're to love because we are loved. In 1 John 4.21, we're commanded to love our brother. And then in 2 John 5, we're taught to love each other. And in 2 John 6, we're taught to walk in love. Christ's command to love is all over God's Word. Love is at the very core of who we are and at the very center of God's will for our lives. The centrality of love in the life of a Christ follower is clearly communicated by three writers who knew Christ intimately. Paul, Peter, and John. There's no way that we can miss this message. Yet we do miss it, don't we? Or maybe we dismiss it. We may read it so often 
that we somehow check it off in our minds as something that we know so we can move on. Listen, there's a difference between knowing that Noah's ark was 300 cubits long and knowing that Jesus commanded us to love. The length of the ark is information that we can file away or put up on the shelf. The knowledge that knowledge doesn't express the likeness of Christ being formed in us. But knowing that Christ commands us to love means that we are being called to surrender our lives to that understanding, to that knowledge. The command to love one another is something we are to live out always. We're to take up that command with great intention Loving others is to be on our minds and in our hearts. It's to be the filter through which we make decisions. It's to be the standard by which we self-evaluate. Love is to be the word that's used most commonly to describe us. At the end of every day, we should be able to produce an account of the ways in which we loved that day. I know that we are success-driven people in this nation. But we measure our success by things like status, career advancement, wealth, security, comfort, happiness, avoidance of pain or struggle, correctness, opportunities, education, and on the list goes. Yet we can't back that model up with the Word of God. Jesus, Paul, Peter, and John all give us a very different measuring stick. It's the measuring stick of love. We are to love God and others. And the rest amounts to nothing without that love. This is a tough age to live in, and it's only getting tougher. Well, guess what? So was the age in which Jesus and Paul and Peter and John lived. When they addressed the church about how she was going to be most effective in bringing hope to the world, it is no mistake that their emphasis was on love. The world needs God. And God needs us to introduce the world to Him. How? Well, listen to John again for a minute. In 1 John 4, 8 and 4, 16, John makes a statement about who God is, and he says this very simply. God is love. God is love. Well, we were created in the image of God, weren't we? So it makes sense to me that we are to be love as well. That's the kind of significance love is to have in our lives. That's the measure of our success. One more passage of Scripture and then we'll wrap things up. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. We're going to read verses 12 to 14. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. It's Paul writing again, and this is what he says. He says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Then listen to this. And above all these, 
put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now this week, we as a nation collectively shook our heads in disbelief over another senseless killing, this time at the Boston Marathon. And our hearts go out to all those who suffered loss, injury, or permanent scars from having witnessed something like this. What a tragedy. And what a reminder of the need there is all around us for the love of God, for God's kingdom to come through His church. We are to be love to this world. We are to be the love of Christ, bearers of the image of God Almighty. We're to be obedient to Jesus' command to love one another. We're to open our eyes to the opportunities all around us. Here in this room, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools. Our world is packed with empty lives and relationships and situations all waiting to be filled with God's love. So that tragedies like what we've seen in Boston can be prevented. My heart aches to see the love in this church increase constantly. Our love for God, our love for each other, and our love for our neighbors. And I'm asking that you pray with me to see that happen. I'm asking that every one of us commits to making that happen. Will you be obedient to Christ's command to love? Will you commit to putting on love to intentionally dress yourself with love every morning? Will you love the person next to you right now? Will you love your husband or your wife? Will you love your kids? Will you love your parents? Will you love your coworker or even your boss? Will you love your teacher? Will you love the cashier where you buy your groceries? Will you love your brother or sister? Will you love your next door neighbor? Will you love your enemy? Will you love the God who loved you first? Will you love Christ's bride, his church? We're going to talk about some specific aspects of this love in the weeks to come. Um, Join with me in asking God to increase our capacity to love and to increase the speed with which he's transforming us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's learn together how to better love, how to put on love above everything else. I'm going to have the ushers come now and the worship team return to the stage. And let's pray as they do. Father, we praise you this morning for the incredible love that you have for us. We thank you for your unconditional love. We thank you that you are love. That when we describe the creator of the universe, we're not using words like power. You are described as love. You are love. And what an amazing thing it is to know that it's out of love that we were created. And that in us exists the image 
of you. In us exists the capacity to love. Father, we receive so much of this love from you. And we praise you for that. But we don't want to be just receivers. We want to imitate you in giving, just like you give. So, Father, please grow our hearts here. Increase our capacity to love. Give give us a love like we've never had for the people in our lives. Help us, Father, to understand the impact that love can have, the tremendous power that it has. Forgive us, Father, when we sit back and look at what's, go- what's going on in the world, that tragic events like bombings and all these things that happen around us constantly. Forgive us for how often we sit there and shake our heads and go, oh, that's terrible, what a tragedy. but fail to even reach out to the person next door to us or across the street or the one that we work with, the one who sits next to us at school. Father, grow us in this. Teach us to be loving individuals and a loving church that love you and love those around us with the love that you have given us. Father, I'm desperate to see Chapel Hill grow more and more and more in our ability to love and how intentional we are. Please make that happen. I thank you for the many, many signs of that all over this place. For those who served in love this week, for those who are serving in love right now downstairs, see so much of it. But Father, we want more. We want to be loving all the time as individuals, every one of us, and corporately. Grow our love to the point where it impacts this community in an unmistakable way. Father, I thank you again for who you are. You are love. I thank you for the love that you have for me and that you have for each one of us. We ask that you'd continue to guide us in the path that you have for us and along the way that you would provide, Lord. We need your provision. This has to be your will by your provision. So we're calling on you for that. Thank you for being here in our midst this morning, for bringing us together in freedom, for the opportunity that we have to just love each other right now and to love you with everything we've got. Grow the love that's in us, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.